All right, good morning. Uh, welcome to Darby Creek Church. I'm glad you guys could be here with us today. Thank you for joining us online. Um, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. We're going to, uh, we're going to have a, a pre-recorded uh, worship set, uh, and then we'll dive into the message after that. So uh, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Charlie uh, to kick us off with worship this morning. For those of you who are here, please stand, and we'll, we'll go ahead and sing. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Darby Creek Church. I've potentially been exposed to the virus again, so uh, that's why I'm doing this from home this morning. Uh, so that said, let's just turn our attention to the Lord. I want to read a couple verses from his word in the Psalms. This is Psalm 71, 5 through 8. It says, O Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. Yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. No wonder I'm always praising you. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. Amen. That's his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your protection for us. You give us so many reasons to praise you, God. So we want to Lift our voices to you, God. We want to sing of your goodness. We want to sing of all the good you've done for us and, and the greatness of your name. Pray that you'd help us, God. You'd, you'd fill us with joy in these times and help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
gonna go to my soul. Mountain high, valley low. I wanna see wherever I go. All right, I want to share this prayer of repentance and restoration from Psalm 51. It says this, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again and just uh, turn from our sins this morning. Lord God, we just thank you for that portion of your word and the reminder that we do need to turn from sin. We do need to repent to be restored and just ask God now that you would forgive us our sins, all the things that you're bringing to mind. and We thank you for your son Jesus that he went to the cross, shed his blood so that we can be forgiven and washed clean of those things. And we thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Thank you that you can restore us to full fellowship with you and we can rejoice and sing. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm waiting for the day. 
Awesome. Thank you. You can have a seat. Well, before we get started with this morning's service, we just got a couple of announcements uh, to mention. Uh, first off is uh, we got Operation Christmas Child coming up here. In fact, the, uh, the deadline for getting the shoeboxes uh, up to the church here for Operation Christmas Child is November 22nd. That's next Sunday. Um, so we have a couple of, we have several boxes up here already, actually, to support that uh, shoebox ministry. And uh, I, I know I've heard um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the group that is putting on the Operation Christmas Child ministry, uh, they have made clear that the, even though that we're in the middle of a, a pandemic, it's actually the, the reason why we should be doing more uh, shoeboxes and, uh, and even uh, supplying, uh, spreading the word of the gospel to the children who receive these boxes. It's an awesome opportunity to, to share the gospel and to get the word out, and especially uh, to provide hope in a time when it seems like there's not much uh, hope really going on. So, um, so that's next week, the deadline to get those uh, shoeboxes in. Uh, also check the website out. I think there's ways, if you, if you can't bring a shoebox in, there's ways you can donate uh, to continue to support that ministry and to keep it going. I, I believe there's also a way you can support uh, uh, building uh, your own uh, a, a box virtually, or I, I don't know if it means you're actually going to do it on the website, but it'll, there's a way you can actually support uh, the development of a box online. So uh, take a look at that at, on the Operation Christmas Child website. Um, additionally, um, starting uh, November 29th, we're going to be starting a new, uh, a new series, an Advent series. Uh, Greg mentioned this last week. Uh, the series of Love Came Down. We'll actually be going through a devotional uh, that's written by Sinclair Ferguson, a really well-known author and theologian. And he's just got a really neat, uh, very, it's not a very long devotional, but it's a daily devotional that goes through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and uses that to apply it to uh, Christmas and how Christ came to us and showing his love to us in that way. So it'll be a fun uh, devotional to do as well. So stay tuned. That'll be coming November 29th. All right. Well, to get us into today, we're going to be back in Daniel. We are not going away from that. We have an opportunity to keep going and to, uh, to stay in the book of Daniel. And so we're going to do that today. Uh, today we'll be in Daniel chapter 9. So I encourage you to please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9 if you're not already there. And I've titled this message, um, Praying for God's Kingdom. And I mean that in multiple ways, uh, but I'll mention two, uh, Praying for God's Kingdom. One is, we, as we're going to see throughout this uh, study today, uh, throughout this message, um, the perp- we need to be praying for God's kingdom to come. There's a promise that his kingdom is going to come, and so we should be praying for that. Uh, and additionally, we need to be praying for God's kingdom on earth here. And those are us as believers uh, there are believers here, and that's, that's the way God's kingdom is here on this earth right now, uh, is, is, us, is living through us. He lives through us in that way. So uh, there's a couple of aspects to be praying for God's kingdom. And so we're going to be diving into that today. As we get started, I want to bring us back to the theme that, that Greg has pulled out from this book, this entire book of Daniel, and it stays true every chapter we go through every week. The theme is contrary to appearances. God is in control and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. And I just want to give an example, a story uh, that actually is uh, for today, uh, a personal story, and it's a story I don't want to use it to elevate me. I want to use it to elevate God, but it's a personal story for me. And uh, it's, it's, it's 
it's, a, it's great how it's worked out and to show how God is really working. He's working even today. Sometimes it might be hard to see that, but he is. He is working today. So when Greg started this series, this message series in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, I was really excited. I was like, oh man, yes, we're actually going get to into, get into Daniel here and we're going to go through it. And uh, so I decided, I, I, well, actually I felt led to go through the, the book of Daniel with Greg uh, each week and, um, and just do a personal study on my own using my quiet times in the mornings uh, for doing that. And I picked up uh, two commentaries, uh, usually just do one, but for some reason I picked up two uh, to go through. I, I guess if you do two, you're a capital N nerd, which is me. Um, but uh, anyway, going through, going through the commentary, and I'm just, in, just loving uh, going through the book of Daniel. And uh, little did I know, um, there, it was possible that God was preparing for this today. Um, and so I just want to share that as a piece of encouragement for you, that God is still working even when you don't think he's working, he's doing something. And so when the question was asked, well, does anyone want to preach today? If, since Greg wasn't going to be here, I was like, well, I guess I can give it a shot and see what happens. So here we go. We're going to see what happens. But uh, praise the Lord that he works in that way and, uh, and uses us, all of us in that way. So just, I just wanted to share that as a piece of encouragement, that God is still working and he's still in control even in these uh, circumstances uh, that we're in today. So, okay, so the first point that I want to make for us today as we dive into Daniel chapter 9 and these first three verses that we're going to look at is that studying Scripture prompts us to pray. Studying Scripture prompts us to pray. What do I mean by that? Well, what we're going to see here is Daniel was in the middle of reading the Word of God. Um, the, the, the context that he gives us here in the beginning of chapter 9 is that he was reading. He was studying God's word. And I think it's important for us to know that um, as we're reading God's word, as we should be reading it daily or as much as we can, um, that it prompts us to think about things to pray for. And you're going to see that expressed here uh, in Daniel. So let's read the first three verses here in Daniel chapter 9. We'll start with verse 1. Daniel says, In the first year of Darius the son of Asuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." Okay, so we get some context here, some really great context that I want to use to set us up for getting into the actual prayer that we're going to see starting in verse 4. So we see that we're in the first year of King Darius. And in fact, we actually know what that exact year is. It's kind of nice that the Word of God gives us these exact these, these pinpoint dates. And uh, the first year of, of uh, Darius here is 539 B.C. It's actually 539 B.C. And, quite, and to be honest, that is when Daniel... Is probably in his 80s. He's probably in his mid-80s or early 80s at this point in time. And it's probably, uh, this, this what we're seeing today is probably a point in time before Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. So we covered that in chapter 6. We saw an actual event take place. But now we're, we're bouncing around here a little bit and we are in, uh, in Daniel 9 where uh, Daniel is probably in his 80s. And the next question I want to ask then is, What was Daniel reading? What was he looking at here that drove him to start praying, as we see in verse 3? We see that he is reading uh, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. 
So when we look at that, we say, okay, he's reading from the book of Jeremiah. He's reading from Jeremiah's word here. And I think it's interesting that he refers to Jeremiah's word as the word of the Lord. He doesn't refer to it as Jeremiah's word or Jeremiah's thoughts. He refers to it as scripture. This is God breathed. This is, this is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. And it's, it's an echo of what we see Paul teaching Timothy when he says that all scripture is God breathed and useful for training. And so we see that here, uh, here in uh, Daniel. And so let's turn to Jeremiah. I'm actually going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 25. Um, the reason why I'm turning to Daniel, or I'm sorry, to Jeremiah 25 is because we see that he is reading about uh, how many years must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. And he finds out that it's 70 years. That's what he mentions here in verse 2. And so we're going to turn to Jeremiah 25 where you're going to see where he was probably reading from. In fact, there's going to be several passages we're going to see in Jeremiah today that Daniel was probably probably reading from. So we'll start with Jeremiah chapter 25, and I'll start with verse 8. Jeremiah says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting de- desolation. Moreover, I will banish them from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. Can you just imagine Daniel picking this up and reading from this? He has to be realizing that that's me. That happened to me. I was the one pulled out of Jerusalem. I was pulled out by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I, I can't imagine what Daniel had to have been feeling at that point. Looking at that and going, how did we not see this? How did we not see this coming? We had it with us. Jeremiah had told us that this was going to happen. And yet Daniel's reading it. I can just imagine the tears that he is probably filling his face that he's, that he's thinking, oh my goodness, we, this is exactly what's happened. But he doesn't stop reading. We're going to go on here. Continues in verse 10. I'm sorry, in verse 11. It says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord. Making the land an everlasting waste, I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves, even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and to the work of their hands. So the tears that Daniel's having here as he's reading this probably turn from sadness to joy, because immediately he sees that the nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay, I can only imagine Daniel's doing the math in his head. Okay, I'm about 80. I've been here for probably 65 years. I probably was, I was pulled out of Jerusalem around 14, 15 years of age. And now I'm in my 80s. It's been 65 years. We're not too far away. There's 70 years here. God said there's 70 years. And he goes on to say, this is what the word of Jeremiah says, that God will punish the king of Babylon. 
Remember, the first year of King Darius, what happened right before Darius came in and took over Babylon and took over the kingdom? Belshazzar was killed. Remember when we did that in Daniel chapter 5? We looked at the writing on the wall. Darius came in and killed Belshazzar, wiped out the Babylonian empire and the Babylonian king and started reigning. So Daniel has seen this. He's experienced it, the king of Babylon being punished and destroyed. We saw that in Daniel 5. And so he's reading that going, whoa, we are close. I mean, we've got prophecy. Now remember, Daniel's 80. He's experienced a lot of God's prophecy and fulfillment of God's prophecy, even in the midst of his just immediate life, right? We had, um, we had him recounting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. He had experienced God telling him what the dreams meant that Nebuchadnezzar had and providing that to Nebuchadnezzar, and then also saw them fulfilled. He saw Nebuchadnezzar cut down. To, uh, to eating grass like an ox. And he, and he was able to prophesy that to Nebuchadnezzar. He experienced it. So when he's reading this in Jeremiah, I can only imagine he is thinking, this is going to happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen God work this way. He's going to do it. There's no doubt. And so he's got that in the back of his mind as he's, as he's uh, preparing to pray. Now, what I think is interesting is if we move to Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, we see why he's probably starting to begin to pray. So Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek and find me and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So Daniel's reading this and going, yes, Lord, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to start praying. I need to start calling upon the name of the Lord, coming and praying to him. And he says he will hear me. So Daniel's prompted by his reading of scripture to begin praying. Now when we think about this, when we think about prayer, I think it's, it's a fair question to ask is, well, why, why should we pray? I mean, if God is sovereign, we've been talking about how uh, God is in control in all things, in all circumstances. Why should we pray if God is a sovereign God? Well, I think if we take a look at the example of Daniel here and, and take a look at what he's reading through Jeremiah and all of the experiences he's had in Babylon thus far, seeing prophecies revealed and then fulfilled even in his lifetime, he's thinking, it's because God is a sovereign God that I pray. Because he is sovereign, that is why I pray. Because I know that he's going to fulfill the promises that he has made for us. Daniel was confident in his prayers, because he knew he was praying for the fulfillment of God's promises. And he was confident that God would do exactly what he said he was going to do. He, he's seeing here in Jeremiah that he's going to bring them back after 70 years. But they need to be praying to him. They need to be calling out to him. So just before we get into the actual prayer here in, in Daniel 9, I want to encourage us, as we're thinking about uh, prayer and studying the scripture to prompt us to pray. I think 
we, as we're reading the word, we need to be looking for the very, the, all the promises that God gives us. There are so many I mean, the, the word is rich in promises that God gives us uh, and, and things that are still yet to be fulfilled or are being fulfilled daily in the lives of believers. Uh, and so just some examples of that. I, I want to give to you some examples of promises. And these are just a few. It, it is not, I am not going to give you an exhaustive list. I, I encourage you to look out and, and find for that because you will be encouraged uh, go study and, and see if you can find all of the promises that God has given us. These are just a few. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes to the Philippians, and they're going through, uh, they're going through a, a tough time at that point. And he says, he says to the believers, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is, uh, yes, you, you're sinners. We're, we're all sinners. But... God is going to sanctify you through his son, Jesus. He's going to, uh, he, he's going to um, bring you closer to a state of holiness. He's going to remove that sin from you. But you have to trust in him to do that. And he will. So that's one thing we can be praying for, is consistently asking the Lord to remove the sin from us. To think that we don't sin anymore. Well, that, that's a sin in itself because it's a lie. We, we do sin. We're all sinners. But God continues to work with us and through us to sanctify us and prepare us for, uh, for heaven. And uh, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfectly holy before we die. I think that once we die and we're in heaven, that's when we will experience that holiness and that, san- that total fulfillment of sanctification. But God, will, uh, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise for us. And so we need to be praying for that 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 would happen even in our lives, that he would remove the sin, continue to remove the sin from us. Another promise is in John uh, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus mentions, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Oh, I love that. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This is Jesus talking about what he's giving. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Well, what's he referring to here? He's referring to the the peace that only God can give us. A peace that surpasses all understanding in all aspects of our life. And uh, Paul writes about that in Philippians as well. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. He talks about God and and Jesus providing this peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we can pray for that. We can pray for that peace. When something comes uh, along, we need to be praying that God would give us that peace. And we can pray for that because we know it's a promise that he will give it to us. And then in Psalm 23, David mentions that the Lord is my shepherd who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us. He is a shepherd. A shepherd walks with his sheep. He cares for his sheep and takes care of them. We have that promise that he will do the same thing for us as we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus knows exactly what that's like because he's experienced it on the cross. So that's a promise for us to know that he will walk with us through the darkness. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 21, I just want to turn to it for you because this is a, uh, this is a, a promise that is yet to be fulfilled, completely fulfilled, but his work is, coming, uh, is going towards this, what, he's, what the Lord is doing here. So in Revelation chapter 21, Verse 1, John records, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a promise. But that is coming. The sin is going to be removed completely. Tears will be wiped away. And death will be no more. And God will reign here on earth. How awesome is that? And so uh, we need to be praying that that would be fulfilled. It may be fulfilled in our lifetime. It may not. But we need to be praying that God's kingdom would come. Because it has been promised to us. And that's the aspect of why Daniel prays, as we're seeing, as we're going to see here in, in the rest of Daniel chapter nine. He knows that there are that, that God has promised the fulfillment of this uh, of, of this exile that they're, he's, they're going. He's going to bring his people back to him and redeem them. Okay, so let's dive into the prayer here. Let's getting in, starting in with uh, with verse four. Uh, we're going to talk about three different things that we need to consider as we're praying, and as we as we as we consider praying. Uh, what are what are three things that we can can think of and use as a model for for prayer? And I love this. You're going to see if you're if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you're going to see some parallels here between the way Daniel prays and the and the the kind of the order of which he prays and the way that Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer for how uh, as a model for how to pray. I just love how the Old Testament and the New Testament are are uh, in parallel there and they 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 work together. And so we're going to see here in, in Daniel chapter nine verse four. That the first thing we need to do when we come to God, when we come in prayer, is to recognize who he really is. Not to come to him with an expectation of what he might be or an expectation of what we want him to be, but who he really is. Who is God? And so Daniel says in verse 4 here, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Here we see uh, Daniel is elevating God to the highest of highs, which is where he should be. He is great and awesome, the creator of the universe. Daniel has experienced God and his sovereignty firsthand, and so he's calling it out. Great and awesome God. And he even goes on to say, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, he'll keep his promises for those who Decide who choose to keep his commandments. He will keep his promises perfectly. And so we recognize that. We see that. It's interesting though we have a completely different look at what we are and how we fit into this and how Daniel refers to himself in verse 5. A completely, uh, a very stark contrast here. Daniel says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. He's, Daniel is placing himself and the rest of the Israelites and his nation here under God, which is where it should be. Rather than elevating us to equality or even beyond God, it's recognizing that God is over us and he is, uh, he is God. Uh, and so to recognize, to recognize that and to place ourselves in the proper mindset of humility, just realizing that God is over us and he rules over us we see that here as, as he begins to confess the sin, which is the next piece 
of how we should be praying. So we have the idea of as we come to prayer, we need to recognize God for who he is, what his word tells us who he is. And then we need to confess sin, confession of sin. And not just sin of ourselves, but be confessing sin for others as well and interceding for them. We're going to see an example of that here. So Daniel 9 verse 5 says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Then he goes on to say, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Daniel is recognizing and acknowledging that God has been speaking to his people for years, speaking to them directly through the prophets. Not quite the same way he did with Jesus, but he's still speaking to them directly, giving them his word, and yet they completely ignored it. They disregarded it for for nothing. In fact, they started worshiping idols, man-made things. Started worshiping um, things that God told them not to do. Completely disobeying what he had commanded. And the prophets told them, Time and time again, over and over. You had the whole, all the period of the judges there. And, and even beyond that, the kings and, and the prophets that came to the kings completely disregarded the word of God. And Daniel is recognizing that and acknowledges that and confesses that sin. Because he, he can't do anything else but that. Just recognizing because of what he's seen in Jeremiah, God said he was going to pull him out of Jerusalem and lead them into captivity to the Babylonians. He did exactly that. And the reason for doing that was because of the sin that they had committed. They had completely disregarded uh, what God had said. And not only do we see a confession of sin here, we actually see an acknowledgement of God's justice in his judgment on sin. We see an acknowledgement of his justice. And Daniel doesn't complain about it. He doesn't say, oh, you've done us wrong, God. We, we're We're trying. No, he says, God, you're right. What you've done, even though it's horrible, and what you've allowed to happen is horrible, uh, you were right. We deserved it. That's what he's saying here in verses uh, 11 through 14. We read, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke for us, spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying, God, you have said what you were, you have, you have done what you said you were going to do when we sinned against you. What's he referring to here when he's talking about the law of Moses and, and this uh, this curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses about what God's going to do to his people when they sin against him. Well, he's referring back to way back in scripture in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. 
we see this is the law of Moses, and God is laying out what's referred to as blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience or curses for disobedience. God lays out, look, if you obey my word and you follow what I've instructed you to do through the commands that I've given to Moses, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God and being careful to do everything that he's commanded you, I will bless you. I will, uh, I will keep you safe. All of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall, you, uh, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and increase your herds and the young of your flock. In other words, if you just hold to what I tell you is true, things are going to work out. I will keep you safe. I will, I will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. I will keep you safe. But, it goes on in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. I'm telling you, for the next 50 verses, God lays out the curses that will be applied if they choose not to follow him, if they choose to disobey him and disregard him. And that's exactly what Daniel's referring to here. And one of them is exiling them out of their land and spreading them apart, separating them all over the land and exiling them. That's one of the curses. And Daniel, Daniel is recognizing that. And, so, and he's recognizing not only that it, that it has happened, but that God was correct in doing so. He was, he made, it, was, it was right for him to do that. And that's part of the confession of sin, is recognizing where God has judged and where he's right in making those judgments. Then finally, the last three verses here, of the, or four verses, sorry, of this chapter here, uh, verses 16 through 19, we see Daniel moving on to pleading for God's people, pleading for his country, pleading for his nation, and praying on behalf of his people here. And I think this is a good example for us to consider as we pray. Daniel says, O Lord, in verse 16 here, he says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath Turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people now have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to take his pleas for mercy. And, do not, and for your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our, unright- because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now when I read that, I go, whoa. Daniel, what did you just do? You're telling God to open his eyes? To see what he, what's, what's happened? Obviously, God knows what's happened. He is praying with a confidence and a boldness like none other. I mean, it's, it's incredible to me how he prays with this boldness and to, to approach God in this way. Why can he do that? How does he do that? How does he know he can do that? Because he has 
observed in Jeremiah that God has promised to redeem his people. God has promised to, to bring them out of exile. So what's Daniel doing? He's praying that God would see it to fulfillment, that this, that this would happen. Yes, Lord, please. You've mentioned it's going to happen. Make it happen. And not for our sake, not for our benefit, but for your glory. I mean, how, how odd would it have been if God, while having all of these promises mentioned about how the Israelites will be, bring, will be brought back out of exile and how, there, and how there will be a new covenant, which we'll get to here in Jeremiah 31, all of these things, if God just wipes them out, how will that make God look? He doesn't, he doesn't fulfill his promises. And so Daniel's using that and saying, Father, you have promised this. Make it so. He's praying the will of God. That's what he's doing. He's praying the will of God. And so he's saying, Father, you will be glorified by redeeming your people. Be glorified. Be, make yourself known to all the peoples that you are one who fulfills your promises and fulfills what you said you were going to do. The other thing is here, Daniel prays on behalf of his people. We don't see, that he, we don't see him complaining about his, about his brothers and sisters uh, uh, that are the Jews. We don't see him complaining about them and how much sin they're in and, and things like that. He is praying on behalf of them as one of them. He recognizes he has just as much sin or is, 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 uh, is responsible for just as much as they are. And he prays for them. And I think that's just a wonderful example for us as we're praying. We should certainly be praying for other believers. Be praying uh, in inter- in intercessory or as an intercessor for them, just like Daniel did. Not expecting anything from them. If someone sins against you, rather than demanding that they for, uh, ask for forgiveness and things like that, we should be praying that God would forgive them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We can pray that for unbelievers who don't yet know Christ. We can be praying in that way, asking the Lord to forgive them. He has promised that he would according to his will. And so we can be praying for those things. We can be praying for your spouse, that they would be forgiven, that God would work in them, not expecting your spouse to change, but knowing that God can change them. Same thing with, with children, praying for your children, or, praying, or, or children, praying for your parents, uh, praying, for, praying for them that, that God would work through them and fulfill the, uh, um, fulfill the promise that I even mentioned here in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We can be praying those things for each other as for believers. And as I mentioned earlier, we can be praying for the salvation of unbelievers. Those who are in God's kingdom, we just don't know it yet. Because they haven't, it hasn't happened in, 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 just yet in this world. God has, uh, since eternity past, has, knows who, has set up who is going to be uh, his children. And so we have the opportunity to be praying for those people as well. That they would come to know him. The key here is not so that we would be lifted up or glorified. The key in all of this and the mindset behind the way Daniel was praying was so that God would be glorified. The other aspect here that Daniel recognizes as he's praying, and we can see this as we, as we look over the holistic prayer here, is there's, uh, there are elements of grace and righteousness that he's recognizing here. He understands the righteousness of God, the requirement for penalty uh, for sin, that there is a penalty for sin. If God were completely righteous, he, and he would have been right to do this, he could have wiped the, 
the Israelites off the face of the earth. And he would have been right in doing so because that's what they deserved. But at the same time, God is full of grace. Okay? And so he, he, uh, he uses this righteousness and this grace. And grace is that forgiveness of sin. Is promising to redeem us if we turn to him. And we see the culmination of righteousness and grace when we look at the cross. If you look at Jesus' death on the cross, you wouldn't need Jesus' death on the cross if there was no grace because God would have been right in destroying all of us, destroying the world. Adam, Adam and Eve came, they sinned, God killed them, end of story. That could have been it. And that he would have been right in doing that. But he had another plan. In addition, we see that grace is fulfilled on the cross because uh, if God was full of grace, he would just keep forgiving us and forgiving us all the time without, without any penalty, without anything. Grace would have uh, been sufficient in that way. But he's both. Sin requires a penalty. And so therefore we see Christ on the cross crucified as a fulfillment of that righteousness and grace altogether on the cross there. And I mentioned the cross because I want to conclude with Jeremiah 31. So we see Daniel's been reading through Jeremiah, and I just wonder if he's even reading this passage as well. In uh, in Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 31, the word says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, which is why they're in exile now, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Daniel sees this, uh, this new covenant, and it's kind of a foreshadowing to what we're going to talk about next week uh, with uh, the rest of chapter 9 here, verses 20 through 27. But this new covenant that, uh, that Jeremiah is talking about here, I want us to look forward to Luke 22, verse 20, where Jesus mentions, while he's preparing the Lord's Supper, and, uh, and in, in introducing that to the disciples, he's saying, he says, look, this is the blood, and this, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's covenant of my blood. So Jesus, his coming and his crucifixion is the new covenant. It changes, the, uh, it, it provides the new covenant for God's people. And so we have hope in this new covenant. And we should be praying with that in mind and reminding ourselves of the promises that God has given us so that um, his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. It is just so encouraging to see how even in the Old Testament, you, you, give us oppor- you give us examples of how you have fulfilled your promises over and over and over again. And even today, we can see 
how you're fulfilling your promises in, the, in, our, in our own lives. And we know that you're still working. Father, we just thank you for that. Lord, I, uh, I lift up everyone that's, that's not with us today, uh, that wasn't able to make it out, whether, uh, whether due to sickness or just health concerns or whatever. Father, I just pray that you would be with each one of them today. Uh, just, just wrap your arms around them. And, and uh, Father, help them to know that you are near. Lord, I pray for the protection and safety of those who are with us, that we would be able to come back again next week, Lord willing, um, that, you would, that we would continue to be able to dive into your word and to uh, learn more about wh- who you are and so that we can continue to spread that hope and joy uh, with, our, with our community and our friends and family. Father, again, I just thank you for today and thank you for your word. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.